These three media. Hi, I'm Darren Antrobus, and this is the interviews. And in this week's episode, I'm chatting to Ashley Farrow, legendary TV show creator, and we chat about his creations like Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, and also Wild at Heart, and where all the ideas came from and the characters came from as well. And we also talk about his new creations, which are about to be on TV screens on the BBC this year. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the interviews. Here is my chat with Ashley Farrow. Now, Ashley, I want to get your second name right first. Is it Farrow? Is that correct? Farrow. So sort of like Egypt, but slightly <laughs> different spelling. That's, yeah, Farrow, Ashley Farrow. Farrow. Ashley Farrow, who is a, a very, very well-known writer. Now, a lot of people forget, I think Ashley would uh, um, have a little giggle with me here, but when you say Ashley Farrow, people go, who? Uh, but if you watch the credits roll on some of the finest uh, TV programmes you see on the telly, you'll see the name created by. Ashley, how are you, sir? I hope you're well. I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, good to see you. So um, before we get on to uh, what we really want to talk about, um, I want to talk about your very early days. Um, and we just mentioned it before we started recording. You were a rugby player before a writer. When was the transition? When did you decide, hang on? Um, well, of course, back in those days, rugby, rugby union was an amateur sport, so there's going to be no job was to be got out of it. But I, was, um, I always loved writing. And I was one of those weird kids that... Um, I kind of knew what I wanted to do from, I don't know, eight, nine. Uh, I just didn't know what sort of writer. And then the first thing I wrote properly was a radio script for the BBC when I was about 19, I was at university. And um, incredibly naive and, you know, ignorant, really. Sent it off, sort of thought all about it. And then a few months later, I got um, you know embossed BBC envelope back. Probably still remains the most exciting thing I've ever got in the post and it said we liked your play and here's a cheque for 300 pounds and I remember thinking wow not only did I love writing that I, got, I could get paid for it and then on the back of that I had a girl a then girlfriend who was reading a film magazine and there was an advert for the National Film School and she said what do you, what do, you do that and so that was like an MA after and it was then that I started taking screenwriting as opposed to any sort of writing seriously and um to leave the film school, each of us had to make a, like a short film, graduation film. And I wrote one called Water's Edge, which was like a coming of age film set in Somerset. And that did very well. I got a, it was a BAFTA nominated short film that year. And I got an agent off the back of that. And so that really was the moment things turned for the better. I mean, you can't just, I mean, can you, can you just, could I, as a radio presenter and a podcaster, just pick up a pen and write a story. It doesn't work like that, does it, though, Ashley? You've got, did you have any training? Did you do... What, what, no, what? No How did you start? I mean, I'm from a, a sort of little town in Somerset. There were no books in my house. We weren't that sort of... Found nobody from my town even thought about being a writer. It just... I suppose it comes from reading. I was a kid. I loved books and films and stories. I lived, you know, my own little life. You know, I was dreaming, but... I always love stories and um, I probably must have had some innate sense of story structure looking back. So I think there are lots of books and courses you can take now. And I think if you're half bright, you can become a half decent script writer probably. But I think, I still believe there is something like called innate talent, I guess. And then 
And then your job as human being is to see how good you are and push it. You got to have a spark, haven't you? First, you got to have a, a you know a passion for it, a fire in your belly, and then you go from there. I suppose you have to have a love for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I never did it to earn a living or make money. I did it because I love. If I was on a desert island now, I would still write stories. I, I, it's it's like some you know it's like breathing to me. It's something that's um, so it's important. Is it not even? It's more than important. It's just what I do. So, um, so you, after all those few short stories that you wrote before, uh, I was reading on. Now, you can shout at me more all that you like. Wikipedia, according to Wikipedia, I don't know how true it is. <laughs> uh, EastEnders. Yeah. So, is so true? yeah. So I came out of film school, like I said, and um, got an agent. who's still my agent, and I got some commissions to write some low-budget films, and anyone in the business knows almost nothing gets made, especially when you're young. And then suddenly, the phone didn't go for a year or two. I think, oh, yikes, this is not what I expected. And I was back on the door. All my friends were getting flats and having cars, and I was living, you know, pretty hand-to-mouth, really. And I had a friend who'd been at film school with me, and I, I met him for a beer one night, and I was... He had to pay because I didn't have any money. And he said, well, you, know, you should send stuff to EastEnders, you know. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a soap opera. And he said, but actually, you couldn't even afford the bus fare to get here. <laughs> you know? And I thought, do you know what? He's right. And so I sent my scripts off to EastEnders and I got an interview, and um, which was really interesting for me. I thought they'd all be, I don't know, sort of cynics, sort of middle up. Uh, university graduate, but they weren't at all. They were passionate people about this show. They loved this show. So this is, we're talking now early 90s, I guess, on EastEnders, um, where it's two a week. So the writers and directors had a lot more control on the material, I think. And they said, okay, we'll give you one episode. I went, okay, as a, almost as a test. And I'd never really watched it, if I'm, all, if I'm honest with you. So I just found as many... VHS, remember VHS? As many VHS tapes of EastEnders as I could find. I watched everything. And I wrote my episode. And I knew even then that that was make or break for me. Because without being rude to the programme, I couldn't write EastEnders. Then maybe screenwriting wasn't for me. So I, that was a big moment in my life, my career. And yeah, they liked it. Not only did they like it, it went out on TV. So finally, I could tell me, my mum and dad and my friends... I do write things. They just didn't get shown before. So it was, and then suddenly you're on a bus the next day in Islington and some old ladies behind me talking about the, my episode from last night. I think, wow, that's... Do you, so uh, do you remember what was in that episode then? I do. I remember it vividly. It was, um, there was a middle-class character on the square. I remember her name was now, and um, Michelle, remember Michelle? Yes. Was going around there for a dinner party. And it was, um, so it was, almost, it was like a class-conscious Clash, and it was the brothers had just started being in it, so it was Grant and Phil. So a lot of my first episode was written the Grant, Grant Mitchell. So that was, um, yeah, that shows you how long ago it was. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, did you have a hand in the, the the fight scene, by the way, or was that a bit too early uh, for 1990? You know, the, the famous, you know, the Sharon affair fight scene that they had. No, that was a bit after, I think. I think the legendary Tony Jordan wrote that. I did it for, I don't know, about three years, I guess, off and on. And um, 
I really liked it as an experience because up until then I'd never really met other writers and suddenly with 10, 15 writers and we used to go away for these um, debauch weekends in Watford of all places and um, storylining they used to call it. It looked a lot <laughs> like drinking heavily to me but we were storylining and um, we would come up with stories and laugh about each other's, you know, it's really, and I learned so much from some of these older experienced writers and um yeah, I loved it. But I also knew that, it, that, and I'd seen it happen, that if you don't leave at the right time, you just become, you know, the industry thinks, oh, yeah, you're the guy who writes these standards. So you had a plan then, didn't you? So you had a plan, I'll do a bit of this, and then I need to move on and do something else. I think I did. I mean, I think plan is probably a bit of a posh, but I just had an instinct for, I've got to, I've, I wanted to push myself a little bit. And there is a comfort zone of writing on the soaps, because you get quite well paid. I mean, you could make a pretty decent living just writing soaps, and but you never get to create anything yourself. You never have control of it. Um, and I was still young enough that money didn't, you know, I didn't have family or kids or anything. So I was like, what the hell? I'll just take a. I've been unemployed before. I'll do it again. So I left without having anything to go to at the time. But so obviously, then you move on to do do a bit on casualty. Yeah, did a few years on casualty, which again in script writing terms in this country. So EastEnders, you're given the stories. On casualty, you're given the serial stories, so the regulars, but you're allowed to make your own story of the week, you know, with the guest characters. So that's, um, that was fun. Um, yeah, so I did a couple of years on that. And then I was approached to go and have an interview with the producer of a new show called Silent Witness. I remember these. These were so popular. These, these silent witness goes down in TV history. Um, it's still going now, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then it was interesting. So I went to meet this producer, and he was a, he wasn't unfriendly exactly, but he said, "Yeah, but you know, this is a big. It was shot on film, which in those days was like it's quite a big step up from tape. That, that boundary's largely gone now." And he was like, oh, yeah, you're a soap writer. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a writer who's been writing soaps. Um, and he had a young script editor, um, an amazing woman called Jane Featherstone, Vicky Featherstone, sorry, Jane's a sister. And Vicky persuaded him to take a punt on, on me. And, and yeah, Silent Witness, that first series was a massive hit for the BBC. I think he had like 15, 16 million views. I mean, that's enough. Yeah. Believable, um, yeah. So that's and that's how the, your career works in television. You, you know, it's not really a plan. It's sort of like a weird ladder that no one shows you. But um, I always tried to slightly scare myself. So I was doing something I'd never done before and, and challenge myself that way. So when did the when did you come up with Wild at Heart? When when was that born? Was that born a long time ago and you nurtured it and sat on it? Um, well, it's a weird thing when you're writing, you sort of, nothing's ever wasted. And so in those the years I was coming about after film school, I struggled a bit to get stuff made. But amongst all that, um, I was sent to Zimbabwe, of all places. So you, <laughs> you've actually been there then before you started writing Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So sent to Zimbabwe to write this film and never got made, of course. Met a girl, as you do, stayed there for about a year. Loved South Africa. Um, and whilst I was there, I went on some <clears throat> trips into the bush and 
just loved it. I mean, I'd, you know, to be amongst the elephants and the lions and, and sit around a fire at night with a cold beer. And, and it's a fantastic thing to do. Cut to, I don't know how many years later, and I was with this production company, Company Pictures. And they said, we've got this idea about doing something in Africa. We heard you, you like it there. And I was, and I'd just done a show for ITV called Where the Heart Is, which had run for quite a long time on Sunday nights at eight. And I thought, do I really want to go back into that family drama? So I said, guys, I'm not, I'm not, sh- not sure really. Um, and on the train home to Bath, I got to about Swindon. I thought, wow, do you know what? If you could take an Eng- a slightly dysfunctional English family, and maybe the dad's a vet who's, who's just doing like hamsters and guinea pigs now and dreams of something more, wouldn't that be fun if I could get them into the middle of wild Africa? And so I got home, phoned the company back and said, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're excited by this idea, I'm in. And that's how Wild at Heart was born. So born of experience and love of a place. And then, yeah, 10 years later, because I sort of had a knowledge of it. Um, and I've been on those game, small game parks and seen how hard people worked. And um, so, yeah, that was exciting. And then, then I did go back properly to South Africa this time, um, just to learn more, to spend time with African vets and, um, and find our location and build, and build that house. Well, that, um, I mean, I've Googled that house uh, to see if you can actually, because me and my wife actually want to go there and visit for a holiday, for a break there. Yeah. Um, and we, we like going to TV sets. So we've been to where Doc Martin is. We've been to where Heartbeat is. We've been all over the place. We've been to Barry Island. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> so we've been there. Um, but we want to go there. Is Can you visit that house, that that site, uh, Leper's Den, I suppose? You can. You certainly could a couple of years ago. Um I went on a went to watch the British Lions play rugby in South Africa last time over there, and with some friends, and we went and had a visit. I didn't tell anybody who I was. And, <laughs> yeah, we can go show me around the house and the animals. And because in reality, although we, we pretend it's in the middle of nowhere, it's only just outside Johannesburg. Oh right, it's quite an easy trip. You can get you know, it's about a fifty-minute drive from the middle of Johannesburg. So, did you have a hand in casting the Wild at Heart then? Um, uh, or was yes. that done by another department? Yes, it was. No, yeah. in fact, in fact, that show I had more than normal. I don't know why, but um, I think we had Stephen Tompkinson fairly early in the process. So, we, but we needed to find um, a wife for him. Um, and for some reason, this doesn't normally happen with writers. I was in the casting sessions, um, and but then Amanda walked in and think. I'd never thought for a second she'd do it. She's this glamorous, amazing woman who had a passion for wildlife and for, for Africa. And, um, and, and yeah, just something about her. She's got tremendous velocity in life and thought that sort of, her sort of liveliness against Stephen's slightly more dour northern would make a great... Because when I wrote the script, my... Um, I summed up their marriage as like one of them is like is glass half empty and one of them is glass half full and that's the dynamic and as actors they sort of um replicated that so um and then we had to, we had to cast their kids obviously um they were all pretty much unknowns or um well if you look carefully the um the girl who plays the youngest daughter 
was actually the test card girl from Life on Mars. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, There's a connection. Yeah, I slightly <laughs> pinched the test cards girl from one of my other shows and and sent to Southern Africa. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I mean, while while the heart, I mean, I've I've really enjoyed binge watching it. Now, I hope you don't get offended with what I'm about to, about to say, but when it was on originally, so what we're talking ninety six. Um, yes, I guess it's yeah. But it's it's seven eight, yeah, I can't. Actually, I should know. It's seven or eight years, didn't I? Yeah, so, yeah, that would be about right. Yeah, so nine, so about well, mid 90s, I'd have been mid 20s, and it, I, it wasn't even on my radar in mid 20s. No, right, please don't be offended. I'm 40 now, I've just been watching, binge watched it on Amazon, and <laughs> I love it. it. I'm so into it. I, I vaguely remember my parents watching it on a Sunday night, um, but I, I was out with friends and whatever, and doing yeah. what you do on a Sunday night with, with pals, yeah. you know. Um, but watching it now, and I'm 40, and I've got, you know, me and me, 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 my wife said, oh, I remember this first time around. This is great. So we've been watching Danny Trevanian, um, Dupe as well. I mean, Dupe's, yeah. ca- Dupe's character, oh, it's, you could yeah. have done a spin-off on him. Yeah, yeah, he was an amazing, you know, he, he died a few years ago, unfortunately, but he was an amazing man, amazing character. His dad was like the Lawrence Olivier of South Africa. <laughs> So in South Africa, he he's quite well, he was quite a well-known bloke, but um, yeah, that's fantastic bit of casting. So uh, you know, that's yeah, right from that first time you see him, and he can I help you with his guns? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, Everybody could do a dupe accent. Do, do you want to hear mine? Do you want to hear mine? Yeah, Danny Trevanian. Oh, he's, he's saying Danny Trevanian. <laughs> uh, he's a Welsh fan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, Wild at Heart, fantastic, and and people can now watch it on Amazon Prime. Are you are you? Can I ask you? Are you pleased that it's available to watch for for now on Amazon Prime? Or yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it was on Amazon to be absolutely honest. I know it was on. Okay, it's one of the Sony stations and streamers these days. It, but no, great. I love people um, finding it. Would you go back and write another one? Would there be room to say where Danny is now? I'll tell you what we thought about, and I think I think I did run it by ITV, but they didn't nibble, was to keep the set, to keep Leopard's Den, and take a new family there. Okay. Um, um, maybe Danny could have been there up with someone's uncles. We get him in for a bit of it. Because um, if it needed refreshing, we were I couldn't think of anything else for those. There's only so many times you can be attacked by a lion in that. Um, <laughs> um, but I think what TV shows, they sort of had their moment and it was, we'd had a great crack at it, you know, and um, and it was very unusually, they sort of told me they were going to cancel it. So they gave me the chance to wrap it up to so that moment where Duplessis, spoilers, people, dies on the mountainside. You know, I could write that scene and um, and really give those characters a proper send-off. So. As, as a 40-year-old man, I'm not embarrassed to admit, that had me in tears on that final episode, even now at 40. So yeah, when yeah, I'm, yeah, big, I'm no, like, oh, no, he's gone. Yeah, he's yeah. taken himself off to, yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a privilege to make it. I mean, you know, for seven or eight years, I went to, to Africa, you know, a couple of times a year and just watched, I loved that house as well. You know, not often with sets, you know, there's a bit of real, a bit of borrowed, because we constructed it from start, we chose how big the rooms were. So we were in control of the lights. Um, yeah, so I've, 
I've got pictures of me standing on that hillside where the house is going to be. And I went back home to write season one, and every sort of week they'd email me photos of it being built. So it's um, yeah, it's very. I'm very very fond of that show. Yeah, with I mean, people love it still even now, and it's and you know he's finding a new audience even now. Well, uh, yeah, I'm glad about that. Uh, but moving on, uh, again, one that I, I came to a little bit after it, it had already aired was uh, Life on Mars. Um, what, what, why the Americans can't do what you do easily is beyond me, because Life on Mars, we knew he was in a coma, right? We got that, right? And we enjoyed that journey. Lost, I'm still watching Lost for the fifth time. I still don't get it, because it just no. confuses me, <laughs> right? Yeah, we've only ever watched the American version of Life on Mars. Oh, no. Is there one? Yeah, I'm afraid there is one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Keitel plays Gene Hunt. <laughs> um, and that has a very, that, that takes it very literally. So <laughs> the last, sort of, again, spoilers, people, the last scenes, they all wake up on a rocket going to, going to Mars. <laughs> and they're going to Mars on a Gene Hunt. <laughs> I, I swear. So do you watch? Do you watch the other versions of your shows? And you go, uh, what? what yeah, I watched that one. But a, well, a, they were very kind. They made it was made clear to me and the other writers that they didn't really want. They loved our show, but they were going to make something different. They didn't want us involved. Um, but they did say to me, "Look, do you want to come out and watch a bit of filming?" So yeah, yes, please. Um, yeah, so I went to Manhattan, and, and their budget was so much higher. I originally got one period police car. They shut down whole blocks of Manhattan and like 40 period cop. I mean, it was astonishing. But our show is much better than theirs. Yeah, obviously. It's not always about money. But I met Harvey Keitel, and I didn't know him. Um, but I remember the writers getting a bit pissed with the, the writers in the, in the bar, and they said, we've got a fantastic ending. <laughs> so I don't want to tell you, because we want you to be blown away. When I saw it, I wasn't blown away. Really. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Um, so when, when did you think about Life on Mars? When did you think, oh, I'm going to do a, a, a police drama series where I'm going to take it back in time? I'm going to do some time travelling. <laughs> yeah, well, what happened was, um, it's quite an infamous story in the, in the business. We were asked to go away, me and two other writers, Tony Jordan and Matthew Graham. And um, by this small company then, Kudos, who's a big company now, and I said, Tony Jordan said, should we do it? I said, nah, I don't fancy doing that really. Let's just, and so he said, oh, I don't want to be rude to them. He said, I said, I'll make the deal so ridiculous. They'll say no. And we'll, and he phoned me back and I said, um, yeah, they suggested yes the deal. I said, what did you say to them? He said, I want me and Ashley and Matt to go to the best hotel in Blackpool. Why Blackpool? I have no idea. <laughs> and we want to be met at the train station by somebody I think it was a thousand pounds each and used tenants. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, and they went, yeah, okay. So we arrived on a, fr on a wet, rainy Friday night and there was a terrified woman standing with three um, carrier bags full of cash. <laughs> so we did what writers would do in such a situation and got drank heavily again all weekend. <laughs> and then on the Sunday, there was terrible hangovers. We thought, God, this, a bloke is coming up on the train. And expecting us to give him four or five series ideas. And we said, well, he's going to want a cop show. Everybody wants a cop show. 
And then we just started laughing amongst ourselves, our own memories from our own school days and teenage lives when um, those incredibly sexist 70s pop <laughs> shows were on. We think how outrageous they would be. And then we laughed. So can you imagine a modern, woke, technocratic cop waking up in a Sweeney, essentially? And it made us laugh. And we pitched it to this guy. And I remember saying when I was at school, we'd all would go to the Isle of Wight on our, on our holidays. And one, 1973, that's David Bowie song. All, every shop, you went into every bar, you went past, Life on Mars was playing with her. What a great title. Um, and then from that moment, it was eight years until we got it made. So that long ago? Yeah, nobody wanted it. And we pitched it to the BBC and Channel 4, and they all went, well, it's, it's a bit silly, isn't it? And it was only like when a whole younger bunch of execs came in, they said, you still got that time-travelling cop thing? Yeah, yeah. And, well, let's give it a crack. And then it could now, I mean, that's such a great idea. It's an obvious. But no, it was turned down by absolutely everybody. Like, wow, that's astonishing. And how popular it is even now, you know? Yeah, I mean, somewhere in the world, they're, you know, I think they're remaking it in Japan at the moment, I think. There's a Spanish version. Um, yeah, and, it, and what's interesting and touching for me is during lockdown, one of the fans on Twitter got in touch and said, we're going to have a, a live tweet-a-thon every like, at Thursday night at like, 8 o'clock. We're going to show an episode of Life on Mars. And said, do you mind? No, not only do I not mind, I'll pop along and, you know, I'll join in and tell stories of how we filmed it. And then this thing snowballed. And thousands of people were watching these tweets on some of the actors, like Phil Glenister dropped in and John Sim and told stories. And, it, and so we talked about a new audience, Wild at Heart. There's this new audience or the old audience revisiting. And that really, really touched me. That, that, that's something you made quite a long time ago now, really. Still meant something to people. And um, it, was, it, was on, it, it was on iPlayer and... Um, Netflix, I think. So everybody could watch, click the button at the same time and watch it together and, and comment. And it was brilliant, really. Um, it was the best thing that happened to me in the lockdown, yeah. When uh, when you pitched the character to uh, Philip Glenister about Gene Hunt, did he did he at any point go, I can't say that. I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's outrageous. That's, we'll get, we'll get banned off the telly and everything. Ofcom will be all over us. No, he didn't bless him. Um, I remember I wasn't involved in the casting of that one so closely, and um, I remember them sending me the Phil's casting audition. And I remember Phil, I didn't even heard of Phil Glenn, so I'm absolutely, I thought, and then I thought, oh, yeah, he's like a character actor. He hadn't done very much. And I shoved it in the machine thinking, I'm not, I think we can do better. So who did you have, so going back to that, if you don't mind, who did you have in mind originally? I think Ray Winston Winston was our original idea, yeah. It would have been good, I think. But, yeah, so that pops Phil doing Gene Hunt, and I thought, wow, he just, he was Gene Hunt in a slightly spooky way. He didn't, when you meet him, he's a very well-spoken, quite skinny bloke, but somehow as Gene Hunt, he got bigger and um, ruder, and he really went for it. Because if he had been like that, if he'd been like, well, I'm not sure, I think it would have come out in, in the performance a bit. Um... It's interesting whether we'd get away with some of that stuff now is a is a moot point. Um, I, I don't know, but um, 
Yeah, he, he, was, he is a wonderful actor. There's, there's room, though, isn't there, for a 90s version? So you've done a 70s one, which is Life on You've done uh, Ashes to Ashes, the 80s version, which I want to go on to next. But isn't there room for a 90s one? Because 90s was 20-odd years ago. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, we are talking... So Matthew and I, the other writer, we are in early talks with each other, really, about whether we could do another one. Um, I think we've come up with quite a good idea, which I'm not going to tell you. Oh, OK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know what it's like. I, I need a broadcast to give us yeah. 20 million quid. It's not like uh, me and Matthew yeah. can make it in our garden. Um, but I think the lockdown made me think there was still a lot of affection for those characters and... Um, there's something interesting about someone with Gene's appalling values hitting up <laughs> on modern day sort of lib- It's an interesting, but it's a different place now. We are in a different, whether you can have some of the sort of homophobic rants he did back in those days, yeah. you know, we thought we were laughing at Gene Hunt saying his awful things. We never ever thought, oh, what, what fun to make homophobic. And, but you're not, you're not in control of your material in, in some ways. And I remember vividly, a Daily Mail piece, a big picture of Gene Hunt saying, this is the man to clean up England, I think. <laughs> really? I thought, well, a, he's not a man, he's a character. <laughs> and B, it's meant to be ironic. We're not really... Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, I mean, out of all the things I've written, I suppose that is the one that has a life beyond... Because it's, it's only on, life was only on for two years. Yeah. You know, and Ashes for number three. So they weren't... You know, they weren't, but they, they are um, people that think very fondly of them. So, so did you enjoy uh, more the 70s version, Life on Mars, than the 80s version, Ashes to Ashes, or which one did you prefer the most? I think if, I'm, if you put me over a barrel, I would say Life on Mars is probably the better piece of art. Okay. <laughs> it was so different. It was so yeah. audacious. And the 70s were a dark, odd time and I think some of the some of the um, storytelling was like I say was audacious you know he'd like meeting his mum I mean you know and, um, but I'm because I was a kid in the 70s so my memories of the 70s are, 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 a, kid, are a kid's memories or, but I was a, in my um, early 20s at the time of Ashes to Ashes so that I was I lived Ashes to Ashes and the music and the clothes and the politics more than life on Mars so as it was so exciting to make, especially Ashes, I think, because, um, you know, I remember sitting in my office in Bath writing um, the nightclub scene from Ashes to Ashes. And um, and then, you know, six months later, I'm sat with the camera with my writer friend thinking, and they recreated the Blitz Club, you know, and, there's, and Steve Strange, the actual Steve Strange, is up on stage miming to Visage, I think, and all these kids dressed as new romantics, you know, and I turn, turn to my mates say, you know, I think we might have the best job in the world. <laughs> and I love the music from, well, both periods, but especially that 80s. Well, I, I do prefer Ashes to Ashes only because Keely Hughes is hot, if you don't mind me saying so. <laughs> well, Keely is, yeah, fantastic too, isn't she? <laughs> and the clothes, you know, are amazing. Um, and I think also... Ashes had a slightly younger, more female skewed audience. I think they, they probably because of Keely, you know, yeah. her amazing clothes and um, and 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 those incredible um, songs from that time. Uh, did you write it? Because when I watch Life on Mars, I laugh out loud. Uh, did you write that 
as being a comedy in the first place, or was that by accident that you you did? Yeah, in fact, the early drafts it was it was almost a sitcom. Right. It got more serious. There's no way you can have Sam Tyler in the seventies and not make it funny. I mean, it's just everything. You know, even those opening scenes when he goes into his office, which I didn't write. So this is not being me being immodest. Still made me laugh when he says PC terminal. <laughs> uh, well, we've got a PC term. I mean, no, it's a silly joke, really, but still makes me laugh. Uh, it is where's my Where's my car? And um, we have a, I can't remember, it's something about a military vehicle, and it's like the gap between the 70s and now is so big. Yeah. You know, and um, just silly things like, you know, half-day closing on a Wednesday, so you can't buy a pint of milk. So Sam's like, what? You, you know, yeah, so that was, yeah, I mean, the comedy would have been, if you, if you did it without comedy, it would be, I don't know what it would look like. Um, it's quite clever at the very end, because obviously, uh, I don't want to do any spoilers, but it, I cried at the end, because... Of Ashes? Yeah. Uh, no, um, sorry, at the, at Life on Mars, because of what happened. I don't want to spoil it, what happens, because people are still enjoying it on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's the way to end it, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. Uh, we pulled the ending forward because John Sim, who played Sam Tyler, didn't want to do a third se- series. Okay. Oh shit! We got to really we to think on our feet and pull pull it all forward. But um, yeah, it's quite an audacious ending. I thought we might get. I thought the BBC might not let us do it because I thought if there were any copycat, we would get crucified. If anyone actually went and did what Sam Tyler did, did at the end of, but no one did, thankfully. So. Um, yeah, so if you're watching it on Netflix, do not do what Sam Tyler did yeah. at the end of the yeah. Disclaimer, stay safe yeah. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, before we end it, by the way, um, what do you love on telly at the moment? So what is Ashley, uh, you know, legendary writer? What are you watching and what are you really enjoying? And what are you wishing you thought, I thought I could have come up with that myself? Wow. I mean, I think we are living through a golden age of television drama. I mean, you could watch a brilliant new show every night, I think. What am I watching? I've just finished watching for the second time The Terror. Say that again. The, the Terror. The Terror. Which was a, hmm, a Netflix. No, wasn't it? There was BBC Two HBO show about. Have you not seen that? No, no, I've not heard of this. Oh, it's really good. About, I think it's sort of 1750s. Two British ships get stuck on the ice. Oh, everyone, a friend of mine has told me about this. Yes. Awesome. Quite dark as uh, well, isn't it? I think. It's very dark. Brilliant acting. And the other one, which I'm watching with my teenage daughter, again for the second time, we enjoyed it so much, is a thing called The Queen's Gambit. Not heard, no. That is on Netflix. And she said, Dad, it's a show about chess. I thought, oh, really? Please don't make me watch a period <laughs> show about chess. But it is absolutely brilliant. It's about this dysfunctional American teenage girl who just has this incredible instinct for, to play chess, which sounds, it's an outrageously good show. So I'm, lo- I'm loving that. Um, and then I watch rugby, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I mean, I, I'm very, uh, I'm a, very much a fan of a lot of the American stuff at the moment, um, only because I get immersed into it. So, like I said, I'm on loss for like the third or fourth time. Still can't get my head around it. But there was ones. Maybe you're a writer here in the UK. Maybe you can explain to me why do Americans tend to pick up a series and then just stop it like that with no explanation. 
You know, there's, you know, there's no, re- because they did it with something called flash forward. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I've heard of it. I didn't watch it. I mean, I think it's about money. Oh, right. They look at the ratings and the advertisers say, no, we're not going to put it, they'll just, and it does happen here sometimes. Um, but yeah, but the American, especially I think since the arrival of Netflix and, and, and Amazon and Apple, the quality of the, I mean, I've watched, I'm not a great one for Marvel type of stuff. I'm not really a sci-fi kind of guy, but someone says, um, I've got Disney Plus, you know, for the family. I really watch it. Um, but there was a terrific show on there at the moment called, God, it's jumped in my head now. I think before we go, I'll think of yeah. it. <laughs> um, and I watched it. It was brilliant. It's with, with an amazing budget and... Um, so yeah, like I said, we are living in, a, in in an amazing golden age, I think, and our own stuff, our own British stuff is um, still really, really good. I think it's there's more competitive now. There's something I've just watched recently, which was a, a tip off from a friend of mine called Behind Her Eyes, uh, that had a, a a twist at the very end. Oh yes, yeah. Have you heard about this one? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched it, but I want to watch it quickly before someone tells them the twist. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you the twist then, but okay. when you, you, but you've got to invest in in all the episodes first, which is a, I think there's only four, um, yeah. and you'll get into like the third episode. You'll go, I'm wasting my time here. There's nothing going on, and then at the very end, it'll drop on you, and you'll go, Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I love shows. One division—that's the name of the show. Is Disney? One division. One division. Right. Yeah. yeah. A one division. Right. Yeah. That's a real. It's a cracker. I'll make a note of that. One division, yeah. Obviously, you can't tell us what you're working on in the future or anything like that, obviously. Um, but um, just, I feel like I've just finished filming, which is hard in, in a year of COVID, but we've just finished filming a new version of Around the World in 80 Days with David Tennant as Phileas Fogg. Is this a film or a series? It's an eight-part series, so um, that will be on telly around about Christmas, I think. See, he's great. Anything he's on, he can just turn his character on like that. He is fantastic. Lovely man, too. So although it was a hard show to make with lockdown in South Africa and Romania and places, um, we got there in the end, and it's looking really good, I think. I think people, that you know, that will play in a sort of 8 o'clock slot, I imagine, this sort of family stuff. But um, So where do we need to look out for that? Are you allowed to say anything on that yet? Or? BBC One. Ooh, very exciting. Around about Christmas, David Tennant. Very exciting. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, keep writing. Um, if you could offer any advice, by the way, quickly to anybody who wants to put pen to paper and they don't know where to start, what would you say to them? Well, I, mean, I think one of the things you can do these days that I couldn't do in my day is make your own stuff with a, you know, with, a, with some mates and a, and a phone. You can edit it. You can make a 10-minute short film, you can put it on YouTube. You can, it's much easier um, to be creative now, I think, than it was in, was in my day. So that would be, and my other thing I always say to young or aspiring writers is be brave and, and write about your own life. Don't write about other stuff because you don't tell you that you like, because it will never be as good. Write about stuff, something that you're passionate about. Would you, would you ever, would you ever do a, a remake of something that's gone before, you know, like a reboot? I would if there was a point to it. Quantum Leap? 
Um, yeah, some people think we made we made quantum leap with life on Mars, don't they? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, Al Al's not on there. The cigar's not on there. <laughs> Ziggy's not on there. I, I, I there is a big eighties show which I'm absolutely not allowed to talk about. Really, that they approached me. I thought, yeah, if you could do something new, if you're just remaking it for the sake of it, I wouldn't see the point in that. But um, yeah, who knows? Never, never say never on that one. Fantastic. Ashley, you're an absolute legend. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You take care. Thank you so much for liking, sharing, subscribing and downloading and listening to this episode of the interviews from These Three Media. Keep checking back to this podcast series for more exciting interviews with interesting people soon. These Three Media. 